Our second Bible reading today is from Psalm chapter one, uh, Psalm 139, verses 13 to 24. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? and abhor those who rise up against you, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Dennis, for reading... Uh the second part of Psalm 139 this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray as we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you continue to bless our time together this morning and this day indeed. And we ask, O oh Lord, your blessing upon the sharing and preaching of this word. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will use me as an instrument in your hands, weak and fragile as I am. Thank you that by your grace and power, your word will achieve its purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning, it's a great joy for us as we witnessed the sacrament of infant baptism for, for grace. And our prayer is, as I said, that grace will grow up to be a child of the covenant to profess her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. The birth of a baby in any home is a wonderful time for the parents, a wonderful time for the extended family, a wonderful time for friends. The birth of a baby, I believe, is a wonderful miracle. And so this morning, as we reflect upon life itself, the, the, the message this morning is titled, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Uh, and so we're going to have a break this morning from our study and series in, in the book of Revelation. I want to focus today on Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18 as our main text this morning. So if you have your Bibles open to that chapter, that will be great as well. Friends, Psalm 139 was a psalm that was written by David, and it is indeed a very personal psalm. Whilst it is a personal psalm, it also conveys to us the character and the person of who our God is. One writer commenting on the psalm uh, puts it this way. Psalm 139 has both head and heart. It is strongly theological, dealing with such important doctrines as God's omniscience, that is, his all-knowing, his omnipresence, that is, his all-present, and his omnipotence, that is, his all-powerful. But it is also wonderful, personal, 
wonderfully personal because it speaks of these attributes of God in ways that impact the psalmist and ourselves. So this psalm is a very personal psalm. It has some very important doctrines about the character of who our God is and it also ministers to our hearts. And I trust this morning that that will be the case for us. This is one of the finest poems of the Psalms. It has what we might call four stanzas, with each and each with six verses. And so if you want to do a division of this psalm, it is fairly easy to break, break down this psalm in the following ways. That, that one is that God is all-knowing, that is, he's, omnis, he's omniscient, he's all-present, he's omnipresent, he's all-creative, we will see that this morning, and he's also all-holy. Uh, is an amazing and powerful God. And so this morning, I want to focus our thoughts on two uh, points today. And one is the uniqueness of life and the appropriate response. Two things. The uniqueness of life and the appropriate response. Well, friends, the uniqueness of life. Is life something that has just evolved? Or does it point to a designer? Is life something of an evolutionary process of mutation in which living organisms have the capacity to mutate, that is to change from one form to another? Is that life? In my understanding, mutations do not change the nature or the kind of any living organism. And so what are we to make of human life? How should we view life itself? Did it just evolve? Or as someone has described it, is it 80%? Just look around you or look at your own self this morning and ask yourself the question, am I 80% water, 10% proteins, and the rest some calcium and other composites? Is that how we view ourselves this morning? What makes human life actually precious? And as we know, friends, from the moment the sperm joins an ovum or an egg, it combines into one cell, a process that's known as fertilization or con at uh, conception. At fertilization, the sex of the fetus is already determined depending on whether the ovum receives the X or Y chromosome from the, from the sperm cell. And the newborn will contain a DNA that has been derived from the combination of the mother and the father. A unique design and a DNA of every single individual. And so, life begins, I believe, at conception. And the question then is, how then should we view this life, this fetus that is in the womb? That's, that's the fetus of 11 weeks. How do we view a fetus in the mother's womb. See the sanctity of life. Now according to the Greek philosopher Aristotle, he was of the view that the fetus, that the fetus becomes human uh, only when the mother feels the baby move. That was Aristotle's view. So when the the baby, or mums here would know that, and all dads, you probably felt the, 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 the tummy of your wife and saw the baby, did you see that, kicking and 
man, is this a boy or is this a girl? Because this guy inside the womb is kicking all over the place, right? According to Aristotle, he says the fetus uh, is, uh, becomes, becomes human only when the mother feels the baby move. Is Aristotle right? According to what I've read, and I did some reading this past week on this topic, well, he's certainly wrong. Because my understanding is, and what I've read, is that the fetus seems to be moving at all times. Now, you might, there might be experts here. You can correct me after the service, all right? Or give me some insight. Others argue that the fetus becomes human only when it is old enough to survive outside of the womb. So, the moment it goes outside the womb, then that fetus becomes a human. Is that the case? Is that the case? But this is not the case. As we know, with premature babies, that they can survive even though the pregnancy has not taken a full term of around 40 weeks or so. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, it says this, During the first month of pregnancy, the heart and lungs begin to develop, and the arms, legs, brain, spinal cord, and nerves begin to form. This only survive when it comes out? No. So what are we to make of the fetus? It is a forming, I believe, of a human being with all the features and distinctiveness of personality and of structure. What do we see in our text this morning? We read in this passage today, when put together, a wonderful, I think you have looked at your Bibles this morning, a wonderful picture of an amazing creative work in the formation of a human being. The psalmist says in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. What an what a amazing passage that is this morning. There was a creator, the psalmist says, who was involved in putting together an individual. And David, David is using beautiful language to describe the work of the creator in putting together an individual right in the secret place of a mother's womb. And David sees that, that this is a creative and amazing work of God in putting him together in his mother's womb beginning nearly nine months before he was born. And the womb Notice there, friends, it's called the secret place. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, the womb is a secret place that is hidden to the natural eye, correct? You can only feel the baby, right? You can't see from the natural eye from outside the womb. It's a protective place. For all mothers here, you know that, right? In the pregnancy, that, that womb is precious. There is a life that is moving in. It must be an amazing experience for you. For us blokes, we, we have no idea what's going on. When a child is born, like we're thinking, man, how, how what do I do? Right? Being through that process, 
And here we see, this, this womb is called the secret place. It is hidden from the natural eye. But the, the Bible tells us that it is not hidden from God's sight. It's hidden to the natural eye. But God has not has access into that place. He sees what's going on. And in a womb, an individual is being knit together by this almighty and all-powerful living God and a loving God. And David sees that God knit him just like a skilled artisan would weave a tapestry together. And this is what God's word tells us this morning. That how God is wonderfully involved in the process with the formation of human life in the womb. And he puts the individual together. When a child is born, when Grace was born, I'm sure there was excitement for, for Yang and Vivian, for all of us. When a child is born in our congregation, yeah, we rejoice. We celebrate, don't we? Right? When the baby comes first time to church, I've seen it happen here, yeah, we are clapping. Why do we clap? This is life. New life, it's joy. And so the baby has been put together. And I often hear parents and others say when a newborn baby has been born, oh, look at that child's eyes, just like the mother. Oh, look at the nose. Look at those fine features. That's the father's. Look at the hair yeah, this baby has got. That is surely from the father. That's just the pun, okay? Yeah. The point is, all those features, all those, the personality, the individuality, the DNA, the uniqueness of this amazing, wonderful, creative work of God has taken place in putting together this life. Think about our bodies, friends. The other day I was sitting in my office, I was working away, I was actually working on this passage. My son walks in, he takes my phone and says, Dad, I want you to do a test here this morning. I said, what? Put your finger on the back of this phone, we're going to check your heart. I'm not sure how good that is, but anyway, how is the heart beating? Anyway, it was beating a bit fast, and then I came to about 65 or something, when it was at a good pace. And some, some cardiologists are here this morning, you might say whether it's good or bad. But the point is, you do a calculation, every minute, your heart is pumping, Right? 60, 70 times, I don't know. Roughly, maybe 91,000 beats. Is that correct? Any cardiologist here, you can tell me. How many beats would it be for a day? You do the sums. Think about it. It's pumping all the time, right? It's there. The other day, I took the liberty of uh, taking my daughter Jessica's uh, book, uh, textbook on ophthalmology. A massive book. I thought it's on, on the table. Let me just skim through this book. Massive one, I have no idea what's all the stuff there. I saw all these pictures and the fascination of the human eye. It's amazing. The, the, the cornea, the lens, the retina, the optic nerve that sends messages from your brain, right? From, from your eyes, right into the brain that's connecting with color coordination. The lens that, that, that adjusts according to your distance. The, the, the color that the, 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 the lighting that changes as the day gets darker, it changes your eye so that you can see things in the I mean it's quite remarkable. Did it just come like that? Well you think about it. You see, friends, 
It is God has been creating this human being. And so life. God says in his word. Let me take you back to Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the, the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them male and female. And so in Genesis 2, which expands further on the creation of mankind, Moses gives additional details about the creation of mankind in order to emphasize the status of humanity in creation. In one of the most intimate passages in the Bible, we read how God reaches down from, to form Adam from the dust of the earth. Then God, the Lord God, formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Notice that he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life so that Adam becomes a living creature. While animals are described elsewhere in the Bible as living creatures, the Hebrew word for breath is used only of God and of the life he gives to mankind. So there is a massive distinction between humanity and the animal world. Now, sometimes I think that there's a, a, people say our pets are, are people too. <laughs> My dog's not a person. <laughs> he doesn't understand everything. He just does what he wants to do. He doesn't talk back to me. He doesn't relate. Do animals do that? Do they get up and say good morning to you? Do they create things? Do they make things? No. We are distinct. So, friends, this morning, the point is that we as human beings are unique as God's image bearers, and so we have a capacity to relate to him as our creator in, in the way that he has created us. And so the Bible maintains that human beings are in the image of God at every stage in their lives. Dr. Asi Sproul says this, Creation in the image of God is what sets humans apart from all other creatures. The stamp of the image and likeness of God connects God and mankind uniquely. Though there is no biblical warrant for seeing man as godlike, there is a high dignity associated with this unique relationship to the Creator. And hence, friends, this morning, we are derived from God. And so every child born is a handiwork of God, even though this morning some of you may not acknowledge that. I don't know. So today, we heard the promises that Yang and Vivian also made, didn't we? Let me take a few moments to talk to parents, especially this morning. And friends, fathers here this morning, if you're wondering what your primary role should be as a father in your homes, includes myself, I suggest the practice of teaching from God's word occupies a major role in your life. The Bible tells us this. The prophet Isaiah said, parents are to tell their children about God's faithfulness. Isaiah 38 in the New Testament, we discover that the young pastor, Timothy, had known the scriptures from... Anyone? You know the book of Timothy? Say it loud, eh? From infancy. Right? From infancy. He said it from the grandmother, he said it from the mother, and he has come down through the ages. Paul recounted how important 
His own religious instruction had been to him even before he became a believer. Acts chapter 22. And it is Paul who instructs fathers to not to exasperate their children. That is not to provoke their children. So moms and dads this morning are to instruct our children. Let me give you two quick suggestions how you could do this. This can be done uh, to all moms and dads now, particularly with young kids as well. No matter what the age of the kids are, but I think it's applicable. This can be done very effectively through regular Bible reading and prayer with your child. Do you do that? Do you put your little one to bed, have a Bible passage that you've read, and put your hand on your child and pray for him or her? I don't know. You think about that. The second is the role of the church. Here the role of the ministers, the elders, as we, as Jenny prayed, and, and, and the Sunday school, kids church program, for example. We are there to support you, but we are not the parent, right? In fact, uh, Ian Jones just gave me this this morning. And you're going to get this as parents. You're going to get uh, lessons on Ecclesiastes. Alright? Because we want to have a connection with you. And Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, you're going to study this with your children. You're going to read this with your children. You're going to talk about it so that what happens at kids' church, there's a connection. Do you see that? How many of you actually... We are so busy, aren't we? We are so busy that we have no time. Right? Even for our children. I was at a seminar this past week. where They spoke about the myth of the decline of Christianity in Australia. In 1959, I think it said, 9 out of 10 people... Uh, attended church. Uh, people associated them with themselves with Christianity. Today the numbers have gone down drastically. Drastically. And the church has declined. And I asked the question. I asked the question. What has happened? Why is there this disconnect? Well, if parents have not taught their children, it is said that not many, they will not be connecting to a church. They will not be connecting to any faith. Think about where our nation will be in the next 10 years. But more than that, whether your children are walking by God's grace in, in faith. What's the appropriate response as we move on? Your eyes have seen my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, the psalmist says, 16, 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could, would count them, they would be... More than the sand, I awake and I'm still with you. Quite a remarkable statement. You see, his knowledge of us. God knows us. In this sense, long before we were born, I don't know how this works out. God not only made us, but also has a purpose for the life that he has given you and me. And so let me give you an example this morning of Jeremiah. Right? Yeah, look at this text here. Jeremiah chapter 1, 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, what is it? Jeremiah before I formed you in the womb I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you I appointed you a prophet to the nations and then Jeremiah says uh, at the, in, in, later on he says Jeremiah says this oh Lord I can't speak I, I, I'm, I have a problem with my speech and I'm only young and God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, Do not say I am only a youth, for all of, for to all whom I send you, 
you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. The point here, friends, is God's plan and purposes for your life. That's the issue, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon commented on this, puts it beautifully. God saw us when we could not be seen. And he wrote about us when there was nothing of us to write about. When as yet there were none of our members in existence. All those members were before the eye of God in the sketchbook of his foreknowledge and predestination. What a comfort. What a comfort, friends. In this psalm, apart from noting that God is all creative, we see that he's all knowing, he's all present, he's all holy. And so you come and you ask the question, who am I? Have you asked your question? Have you asked that question? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? What's my purpose for this short life that I may live? Maybe, I don't know, 10, 20, 50, 60, 80, 100. I don't know. What is God's purpose for you? How should you respond this morning if you believe that God has uniquely designed you and uniquely put you together what then is your purpose and response to this God this morning? Where is your identity as a young person, as an older person, as a mature person? Do you see that your identity is tied in with this great God who has made you in his image and who says he loves you with an everlasting love and he sends his son to be born in humble circumstances in a womb of the Virgin Mary without sin? This Holy Savior, this God who's made us to have a relationship with Him. And the Bible tells us, and I'm going through this very quickly, we have sinned against God. That relationship has been broken. And God sent, God came down in His Son, Jesus, to be born in humble circumstances, born of a woman, in the womb of Mary. And to be born, and to come, and to deliver us from our sin, and to bring us to God this morning. To bring us to God in faith. To make your purpose match with the purpose of God, with the glory of God, with the majesty of God, with knowing the Redeemer, and to come and to say, Jesus, thank you that you have made it possible to take the puzzles and the complexities of my life and to make something beautiful out of it. Isn't that wonderful? We sing, I, I remember a song, get all the words, something wonderful, some, you know that one? How does it go? Something good, something beautiful, there you, you can sing that, all my confusions, you understood. Right there you go, it's your turn to sing. Right? All I had to offer him was, see the words are coming back, brokenness and strife. But you made something beautiful out of my life. What's that? All I had to offer, I remember singing that. All I had to offer you, God, was brokenness and strife and confusion. That's. But you made something beautiful. That's God. So this morning, you think about that. You think about your relationship with this God. The loving and living God has made us for Him. What a wonderful thing that is. So there are two ways to live as we conclude. 
this morning, either you can ignore him and be indifferent to him, and you say, I, oh, that kind of stuff, that is not for me. I simply don't believe it. It is nonsense. I don't understand it. I don't want a bar of it because I do not acknowledge God. You can do that. You have to stand before him one day. And then you can tell him that. Alright? Or like David, you can give praise to him and thank him for the gift of your life. And to parents, thank God for your children. Embrace them. Love them. Care for them. They are God's gift to you. And I close with an illustration from King George VI's broadcast to the Empire. It was 1939 that firmly established the Royal Christmas broadcast as a British tradition. And dressed in the uniform of the Admiral of the Fleet, Sandringham. King George VI spoke live to offer a message of reassurance to his people. It was to be a landmark speech and was to have an important effect on the public as they plunged into the uncertainty of war. He said, a new year is at hand. We cannot tell what it will bring. If it brings peace, how thankful we shall be. If it brings us continued struggle, we shall remain undaunted. And then he went on to quote, from Minnie Haskin's poem, The Gate of the Year. And this is what he said. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better than light and safer than a known way. Put your hand in the hand of God, for that shall be better than light and safer than a known way. Have you put your hand in the hand of God? And do you say to him, thank you for life every day. What can I render to you for all that you have done for me? Heavenly Father, help us this morning to give you thanks for life. There's anyone here today who does not know the God of creation. Let him or her repent of sin, turn to you, find in you meaning, purpose for existence. For those of us who trust you as our God, help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you come to you just as we are. With all our brokenness, with all our confusion, all our strives, all our battles, trust in you, put in our hands, in the hands of our God, and walk in every step of the way in faith. Trust in Jesus as our Savior. Amen.